Good morning. We open up with me in the Old Testament to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. We are going to be looking at the story of Gideon uh, for this New Year's Eve uh, sermon. I started this New Year's Eve off right. My right foot is completely asleep right now. Come on, wake up. <laughs> let's, uh, let's begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into the story. Father, I am uh, just incredibly in awe of your creation, of your mighty works throughout this world. Lord, we're in awe that you have numbered the hairs on our head. You know us. You truly know us. We have invited you to join us this morning, knowing that your presence is among us, lifts our spirits, focuses our minds. And I pray, Lord, that as we study your word, we pray that your word will speak boldly to our hearts, boldly that you'll pierce and that you'll guide and lead as we just seek to become more like you in our words and our actions and our love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We sang the song, Sing to the King, this morning. And in Israel, during the time of the judges, Israel only had one king. He was Lord of lords. He is the God of gods. He is Jehovah. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when they honored God as their king through their words and their actions, the people of Israel lived prosperous lives. But when they fell away from God, the surrounding nations would begin to pillage their towns and fields. And Judges chapter 6 begins with a very familiar line. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. We're told for seven years the Lord gave the Israelites over to the hands of the Midianites. Therefore, the Israelites hid in caves and mountain clefts. And there was one Israelite by the name of Gideon who was just like the rest in that he hid in clefts. He hid in caves. Israel realized their sin. They cried out to their one true king for help. And God sent an angel to Gideon while he was threshing wheat in a hiding place, and he addressed him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I think we are to picture this scared, helpless man who was threshing wheat in a wine press. He was afraid. 
He didn't trust. And through a series of tests, Gideon was finally convinced to listen to this angel. His first action as savior of Israel was to tear down the altar to Baal and an Asherah pole that was at his father's house. Gideon was afraid for his family, and so he took ten men with him in the middle of the night, and they tore those things down. The town was furious. His father was able to calm the mob, and everyone lived. This was the first step in bringing the people of Israel back to God, to their one true king. This morning, I really want to focus in on the calling of Gideon because Gideon was a normal human being, just like you and me, who was called on by God to free his community from the tyranny of sin. And through the actions of Gideon, you'll see that you and I can take on this incredible mission of God even in our city today. Let's look at this battle he has with the Midianites. It starts in verse 33 of chapter 6. Now the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and he summoned the Abyssalites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, also to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet him. The, the, the first step that Gideon had was to assemble some great army to fight the Midianites. Gideon wasn't the only Israelite who was afraid. He wasn't the only Israelite who was threshing wheat in a wine press. Gideon was convinced and had to convince God's people that they could not sit idly by anymore. He was blowing his trumpet, and everyone knew this was going to be a suicide mission. They were going to have to give up everything to fight. These volunteers raised their banners and surrounded Gideon. They were ready to fight. These volunteers. It reminds me of the actions of Paul as he explains himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says simply, if others have the right of support from you, Shouldn't we have it all the more? But Paul says we didn't use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that the work in the temple gets their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in what's offered on the altar. And in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But Paul says I don't use these rights. And I'm not writing this in hope that you'll do such things for me. I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, he says, I cannot boast, for I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. 
If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. Then what is my reward? That in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of any of my rights in preaching it. You see, Paul was trying to communicate that he was voluntarily giving up his right to receive any kind of monetary help for preaching the gospel. He voluntarily did that so that the gospel would spread in the city of Corinth. It was a great heart because the task was bigger than him. He knew that the community in Corinth needed to be freed from the tyranny of sin, and he offered himself freely in that task. Gideon was asking these men of Israel to come up against a giant army only by the strength of God. He was able to muster an army. About 32,000 men. And I'm going to tell you, that sounds like a whole lot of people, right? Until you realize the opposing army had 135,000 men. 32,000 Israelites versus the enemy of 135,000 men. They were greatly outnumbered. And God says the most incredible thing. He says to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. And so God sent home anyone who was afraid. If you're afraid, go home, he says. 22,000 men went home. I'm not super good at math. And I just threw a lot of numbers at you. But we're now down to 10,000 men against an army of 135,000. But as we read on in Judges chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, God gave these volunteers another test. I might have put the wrong verse in there, brother. It should be chapter 7, verses 4 through 7. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them there for you. If I say the one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I said this one should not go with you, then he won't go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped their hands to their mouths. The rest got on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let the other guys Go home. And you picture this, right? You got people who are on their knees drinking that water. Now, how quickly can Jeremy get up from being on his knees? Come on. I got it. Right? Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. Now, what if I get down like this? The men who were ready to fight didn't get down on their knees. They lapped that water up, and they were ready to fight the whole time. And God wanted those men. He wanted the men who were ready, who were prepared to fight. The men who were not afraid, the men who stood ready, even in something mundane like drinking water. Uh, last week, we talked about sacred and secular. And I think we fall into the trap of thinking that the church staff, uh, the, I'm sorry, the church stuff is sacred. But the rest of our week, that's the secular. We live in the secular. But I think what God is demonstrating here and the action of the 300 is that even in something as simple as drinking water, the holy, the sacred, intersects with the secular. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Colossae, in Colossians 4, 6. He says, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Even as something as simple as conversation, it can be sacred. Not just on Sunday mornings, not just when you want people to know you're a Christian, but always be full of grace with your speech. Always seasoned with salt. When you're eating lunch in the break room, when you're sitting in science class, when you rise down, when you lay down, always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Always be ready. The story goes on in the most incredible way. In Judges chapter 7, starting in verse 16, dividing the 300 men into three companies, he gave them all trumpets and empty jars and the hands in their hands with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then you are to surround the camp and blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Listen, it seems like Gideon's doing this wrong, all right? It, it just seems like he's got it all. 300 men versus 135,000 is ridiculous enough. But now you're giving them glass jars torches, and trumpets. It's not time for a concert, people. It's time for a battle. I've never spent any time in the army. I know a bunch of you have. I know a bunch of you were issued not glass jars, but guns. Not, not trumpets, but armor. My brother-in-law fought in 
Iraq. He didn't go to war with trumpets and glass jars. And the Midianites, they had to have had better weapons, right? What is God's angle? What is he telling them? God is equipping them with exactly what they need. Exactly what they need. The the end of the story is incredible. They blow the trumpets, they throw the glass jars down, they light the torches, and the Midianite army loses their mind. I wonder if the early church wondered some of these same things, like, God, what are you doing? You've got the very Son of God born in a manger. What are you doing? He's a carpenter for 30 years. of. What are you doing? This is the, the Son of God. And he only walks the earth for three or four years of ministry. What are you? What are you doing? Like Jesus should live to be like 99, right? He should live a lot longer. For You know how much can be done in this world if Jesus would have lived twice as long? And, and Jesus knew that his disciples were asking maybe not these specific questions, but they had questions. In John chapter 16, it it is the comfort that Jesus gives his disciples when he's about to leave. He says, now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me where you're going because I have said these things. You are filled with grief. He can sense the room, right? He knows what they're feeling. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, he says. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he's going to convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And God gave the early church exactly what they needed. And there's so few of them, right? Compared to the Roman armies, compared to the Jewish religious elite, these fresh new Christians would have loved to have something powerful. And they got it. They got it in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the battle between Gideon and the Midianites ends with these Midianites seeing these torches and hearing these glass jars breaking and they, and they hear these trumpets and they think that they are completely surrounded by the Israelite army. And they lose their minds. And they begin to fight each other 
because there's so much chaos going on. These 300 men defeated the massive army of the Midianites. And there is truth for us here. Listen, church. God is looking for volunteers. Not, not just to work in the nursery or to sing on the praise team or to go to TCTC this weekend. Come on. God is looking for volunteers who will intersect with the secular who've decided there is no longer any separation. I am going to be salt and light everywhere. Stand ready. Invade the secular with the sacred. God is looking for people who understand that they have been thoroughly equipped. You may not have spent time in a Bible college but you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and God has thoroughly equipped you. And we are outnumbered. The darkness in this world outnumbers us. But we can bring change. The state of our city is bad. Our city has more churches that we can count. And yet, if you've been watching the news, you know that homelessness is on the rise. Gun violence is on the rise. Hatred and anger have become the norm. We are outnumbered, and the principalities of this world are well armed. And if I knew how to play a trumpet... I'd blow it this morning and say, we need volunteers. God has thoroughly equipped you with everything you need. And the victory belongs to the Lord. That is that reminder we have. And as we take communion the bread and the juice representing the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As we take communion, I want you to reflect on the power of that sacrifice to make you a changed person in this world, a force for good in a very evil, evil place, a force of love when we are surrounded by hate a force of kindness when everyone's out for number one. As we gather around the table, we are reminded that sin and death has been defeated. Allow the bread and juice to empower you. We have three communion stations set up. Uh, one in each of these corners. And I encourage you as we sing this next song to go to one of these three stations to take your cup back to your seat and hold and reflect on these things as we sing this next song. We bow with me in prayer? Father, I do say thank you 
for that sacrifice. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to reflect, remind us of the gift that you've given us in your Holy Spirit so that, Lord, we can be a force of good, kindness, compassion, and love in this city. Lord, as we think about the people that we need to love, as we think about the places that we need to invade with your love, I pray that you'll prepare their hearts and prepare ours as well. Bless this time of communion that we have together, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.